Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there, or welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're diving deep into a tantalizing topic how women are finding empowerment through pornography. Close your eyes and think of porn. What comes to mind? For most of us, mainstream adult films probably conjure up images that are far from empowering. But guess what? There's a revolution brewing, my friends. And it's been started by trailblazers like Erica Lost. As a feminist and acclaimed erotic filmmaker, Erika is reshaping the narrative, giving us a whole new vision where pleasure is diverse, cinematic, and above all, consensual. Erika's work is all about authentic representation and delving into desire with nuances. The start between mainstream porn and Erika's direction, it's about captive story that she tells from female's gaze. Before we go to the interview, I've got some thrilling news to share. We're hosting an epic live podcast recording featuring yours truly and three of your favorite sex podcasters. It's an exclusive chance to join us in person for an evening of unfiltered conversation and deep connections. Think about it more as a workshop. Each of us, we're going to talk about a topic that feeling passionate about. I'm going to teach you how to experience novelty in your relationship. And you know me, hopefully it's the right amount of spice. You're not going to get super embarrassed if you're coming from a conservative background, but you're going to have tons of fun. All the juicy details are in the show notes, so make sure to check them out. But here's the best part. Our incredible live show is proudly sponsored by Beducated. If you ever wondered how to bring more excitement into the bedroom or boost your sexual confidence, you're not alone. It's a common quest among my clients. Just picture this. One couple I work with have felt a noticeable gap in their intimate life. They longed for that spark, that electric connection that once fueled their passion. And guess what? They found it with Beducated. When they shared their mind-blowing experience with me, I was instantly captivated. They revealed they describe how Beducated reignited their excitement and brought them closer, not just physically, but emotionally too. As a sex therapist, I fully understand the transformative power of stepping just a bit out of your comfort zone and diving into the state of flow. And that's exactly what Beducated offers, a thrilling edge of discovery that will leave you craving more. Beducated has more than 100 online courses that unlock the secrets of sex and intimacy. Dive into video tutorial, audio guides, and hands-on exercises that will revolutionize your sexual journey. Say goodbye to guessing and embrace the exhilaration of every facet of sexual joy. If you are interested, use my special code to get 50% off of your yearly pass. Plus, start with a 24-hour free trial to see just how much Beducated can spice up your relationship. 
There is no risk. You have 14-day money-back guarantee. Make sure you are using the code SEXOLOGY to get the discount. All right, click in the link in the show notes to check out all the wonderful selections they have inside their program. Without further ado, let's go to our conversation with Erika Loss. And now click in the link in the show notes to check out all the wonderful selections they have inside their program. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am very excited about our interview with Erica Lust. Erica, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. First of all, you're a very well-known person in the field, and I know you have such a fascinating story. You have a TED Talk. So tell us, how did you end up becoming a porn director? It's actually quite a long story. I was a young adult. I was interested in sexuality, in finding out who I was myself, what I liked, what inspired me, what turned me on, fantasies, desires, all of it. And at the same time, I was a student of political science at university. And I was studying a course of, of gender studies and trying to understand a bit more about the world we live in, etc. And in that context, I had a boyfriend who liked born back then and we were looking at it together and I kind of realized I was very open-minded with the idea of porn but while we were watching it it felt to me that it was not connecting with me really and I wanted to connect with it but it felt like the women were almost always described as some kind of beautiful object seductresses, they were there as tools for male sexuality, basically. Whether the men were the main characters, it was all about them and their fantasies and their desires. And I felt like I was missing out my kind of my personal connection to to porn. And then when I was talking to my friends, to male friends and female friends, I came to the conclusion that most of my main friends, they had a really good time with porn. They just used it, they watched it, they had self-pleasure out of it. But almost all of my female friends had similar experiences to mine. So back to, you know, political science and structures. And I started to see that there was a structure in porn that I hadn't thought about before. And that it was pretty clear that it was a genre that was created by men for men without really thinking about women and our desire and the female gaze and our experiences of sex. So I think that that was really the idea that started to kind of trigger me. And in conversation, I pushed myself little by little to try to think about what would I like to see in porn if I could, you know, just come up with the perfect film for myself. And when I was doing kind of that exercise, that later on led me into making my first short film that I filmed in 2004. It was called The Good Girl. And it was a tape on a classic kind of porn story. The pizza guy comes and you know what happens in porn. But in my film, it was done from her perspective. The story was 
the girl's story, the woman's story. It was about her experience and what she wanted. And when I showed it to people around me, they were all, you know, kind of opening their eyes and saying, I see it. Now I understand what you're talking about, Erica. Yes, this is different. And that's kind of how it started for me. I was not really set out to do a career in this field. But the more I started to study it and got into it, I became more and more intrigued by it. I love that story. And it's common for many women that they don't like porn. And similar to what you're talking about, I'm a sex therapist. I'm sex positive. I listen to erotica. I read erotica. But for me, like the stories, because there's not a story in mainstream porn, right? <laughs> well, no you story. know, most, most of the porn today, because obviously if, if you go back to the first porns that were, you know, created back to the sixties and the seventies, there were stories. Mm-hmm. There were filmmaking. There were visions in there, you know. They were done by a group of, of liberal people who kind of wanted to change the conservative world they lived in at that moment, right? They wanted to push boundaries. They wanted to explore new ideas. But then I think that what happened to porn is that, you know, video came around. Everybody had access and it became more of an industry instead of being kind of this tool to to progressiveness and liberalism and a new way of seeking out sexual desire, right? And it became a business. And you know what happens normally when something becomes a business? The first ones who get their hands on it are the men because they have had access to money and to work long before as women, right? And um, what I've 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 seen when you look at the history is that when you get to the eighties and nineties and and then two thousand etc., you can see how technology takes over little by little. It's first the video cassette, then the DVD, then the internet, and then the tubes. And what we start seeing are more and more portraits that are done by men for other men. But at the same time, there are a few new kind of independent directors and producers and today creators and performers who have also gotten into this. Because I think that many times when we talk about porn and we think about porn, what we do is that we kind of identify porn with the tube sites. And actually, it's just a part of porn. Yes, maybe it's most of it. It's a mainstream. It's what most people access online. But if we, if, if we look at the industry, the industry is bigger than the tube site. You know, you brought up such a great point about commercializing it, turning it to the business. Because my first experience, my mom is a writer and we, I, the first experience of porn I had, she had this porn, black and white porn. It was just so tasteful, like pretty much it was a gangbang. <laughs> but the, the way that the story was done, it was the angle of camera. It was amazing. It was artistic. But, but there you go. It's very interesting what you are saying now, because many people and especially many women, when they start thinking about porn and porn for women and porn by women and ethical porn and independent porn, they start thinking that there are some practices that you can't 
portrayed that are kind of male fantasy, but actually they might not be that. Sometimes it just has to do with how you shoot it, how you work behind the camera, your creativity as a creator, the point of view, how you want to show something. There are so, I think it's important to kind of to value the work behind a porn film and realize that that it can be just, you know, an encounter of two people and two bodies on a sofa, but it can be also be so much more than that. Yeah, the angle of camera, the storytelling, because sometimes also people think ethical porn are boring. But I, you know, I think it was just <laughs> better made. That's that was my but, experience. <laughs> but sometimes because they imagine something, because this is what people do lots of time, right? They have their preconceived ideas about about what a man is, what a woman is. That kind of the binary scale of of sexuality and heteronormative ideas and 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 then they think that what women want is some kind of romanticized uh, version of of pornography, but I actually think that what women want depends a lot. What people in general want depends a lot, and we are all so bought by the images that we are watching ourselves, right? Sometimes I say I'm, you know, a product of this society. So it's hard to kind of, to to not want what you have seen before. So if you have been watching a certain kind of porn, it's very easy to just start wanting to see that because that's what you had access to that's what you know and it's hard to kind of close your eyes and start thinking what do I want as a person what is my fantasies and my desires right because we are all a construct and you brought up such a great point that people think women want romance and like women like any other people like they have like they have different types of people but I find it also a little bit insulting, right? We say like, I want a better production of porn. <laughs> that doesn't mean like I want all foreplay. There's nothing wrong with foreplay. But when I watch porn, <laughs> I want kind of like the excitement, all of that. So I haven't seen your movies and kind of series that you created. But tell us, like, how is it different than mainstream? I'm already intrigued. <laughs> you had yeah, me at the pizza I- boy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I honestly, I think everything is, it's different, really. I think it's different from the beginning till the end. The whole process, like it starts with, with the ideas and the creative process behind it. What do we want to see? And then we get into a phase of, of, of a kind of pre-production and trying to understand the, the ideas and the script and the characters and one of the things that I used to say is that I'm for for me as a person I'm very interested in understanding why they are attracted to each other I want a bit of a reason there I want to connect with the characters sometimes I feel like it's not enough for me just to watch them have sex but I want to understand them what drives them why is you know, why is this thing becoming something, right? And how can I, how can, can I as a creator kind of invite my audience to an erotic journey so they feel that they are also invited and they get to, to kind of understand what drives these characters. 
I think it's also very important to analyze the characters that you create and do sometimes easy games. Would anything change if the the role that you had thought would be a role for a man is another woman? Or if they are two men? Or if you change them and there's suddenly a woman in this role and a man in the other? Because I, I think that's a way of breaking kind of the stereotypes, the gender stereotypes that we are used to. And then it's about the whole process of working together with other people and especially with the performers. I need to get to know my performers. Who are they? As real people, what do they like? What are, you know, their sexuality? Are there other performers that they would like to work with that they already have built trust with? And then what we do is lots of conversations where, you know, we listen to them, we listen to their feedback, we send scripts, ideas, and then we connect all together and we start talking about our boundaries. I want to find out really, and I want the other co-workers, the other performers to know who they are and what they like and what they don't like. And we, as a production company, we work with intimacy coordinators, talent managers who are there present also to be, you know, so we can help them with any, any, any situation or problem that arises. Obviously, everybody in an adult film are tested and the test results are shared between performers. So we know that everybody is okay. We talk about safer sex. We talk about the use of condoms or contraceptives or, or whatever is needed for the, the scenes we are going to shoot. So we make sure that everybody is as safe as possible because that's the only thing you can do. Of course, things can go wrong there. And that's also something that you have to be very aware of when you are working behind the camera. You have to be able not only to listen to what people say, but also read their physical reactions. So you feel that you are sure that what is happening is something that everybody is enjoying and have them knowing that if that would not happen, that they can always cut, they can always raise their hand, they can always say, I need five minutes, I need a break, I need to talk to someone, I need to figure out what is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, what I think about, kind of, it's a very stereotypical, kind of like the reaction that many of my clients had, I even myself have about porn, kind of about the story, how well made it is. And penis owners is like this the story I hear that most of the the time they don't listen to this story. Like I have like most of them say I I listen to it, I watch it mute. <laughs> so they're just gonna go for a calm shot and that's where they are. Do you think maybe they, they they watch it at work? That's why they have <laughs> that to makes sense. <laughs> yeah. watch it they mute. while their partner is sleeping. Yeah. I, but I also Nobody's want crazy for for me. The sound is mm-hmm. such an important part of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also something that that we care a lot about. I, I, I myself feel very excited when I can hear the performers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of the excitement. And again, if there's a story, if you if you know the story yeah. is lame, yeah, <laughs> you're listening to and get listening to it mute. But why do you think like many women they care about the scripts and like many penis owners they just go for the visual? Well, 
I think we are kind of brought up to <laughs> to learn that that's how we should react, etc. But I, I I definitely think that when it comes to women, it's maybe it's not that much that they want the story. It's it's that they want to be able to relate to what is going on. And as we have seen portraits of ourselves, and now I'm not only talking about porn, I'm talking about portraits, pictures, museums, films, media, fashion, it's all over. You know, we have seen ourselves being in the role of, again, of the beautiful object, of the seductive one, etc. We haven't seen ourselves so much being the, the 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 subject of the story, the one that is, you know, going through something. So it's easier, I think, sometimes to kind of connect with that idea. And I think that men somehow, penis owners, are being brought up in a world where they feel that they are somehow entitled to to being presented with this sexual images created for them. So sometimes they are not used to have to do the work of empathizing with a character that might be different from them, etc. That is work that we have done since we were very, very young, first playing, you know, with dolls, etc., setting up scenarios, understanding relationships, what is going on here. Well, that is so fascinating. So you're saying that mostly it's kind of we socialize that way. And I can see that it can be reinforcing. If, for example, if you're watching the content that you like as you're developing your erotic template, like for men, and that can be reinforced. You know, one thing that was very interesting that when people think about like ethical porn, female-led porn, is that it's it's a content that's tolerable for women, right? But I know you go to the extent of saying it can be empowering. Can you tell us more about that part? Well, I definitely think it can. I think that sexuality is a huge part of who we are. And as, you know, women, we haven't really had the right in the same way as many men had to their own sexuality, to create their own sexuality for themselves. I think that when you watch other women having a relatable pleasure on the screen that feels real to you, that it's not only four minutes of hard vaginal penetration and then she comes like from magic and you kind of disassociate a bit with what is happening because you've seen that image before. It's supposed to turn you on, but have lived and you have experienced what it is to be in a body with a vulva, a vagina, a clitoris, etc. And your brain goes like, hmm, I don't know if that's really happening. This is, you know, this is fiction to me. So when I get to see women having what I call relatable pleasure, when I see them, that they are actually working themselves to reach towards an orgasm, they are touching themselves with their own hands, with a vibrating small toy maybe, even if they are having uh, sex with uh, uh, a man in that situation. For me, I connect with what is going on and it becomes much more believable and then make, that makes it an easier time for me to to feel that that I'm connected. 
And you know, what's interesting for me is that when I became a psychologist, like certain type of porn became less interesting because now I'm going back to socializing. I'm socialized to make sure everyone is okay. I'm thinking about it was that consent, what's going on. And my mind gets active versus looking into kind of a script and truly leaning into it because we all heard the horror stories of girl and porn and clients that they felt like they've done it partly when they were younger and they changed their mind. So tell us about the impact for the performers. Do you use people that they are in the field? Do you recruit people? Tell us more about that. Well, I work mostly with professional adult performers who work in this field, who I've worked before, but I have obviously lots of newcomers, amateurs contacting me all the time, wanting to work in our films. I'm always a lot more careful when I work with new people, partly because I know that there is an impact in their life. If you decide to be naked having sex on the internet, even if it's photography or film, etc., that those images will follow you forever. Everybody will find out. And this is just how it works. So it's important for people who want to get into this field to understand that impact, to understand that you need to have a healthy relationship with yourself and your sexuality, and you need to be prepared how your parents are going to react. It's a question I normally ask newcomers. I say, so what's your relationship to your mother? How do you feel she will feel? Will this be something that you can talk to her about? Or is this a secret that you are going to try to hide until the secret comes out that you're going to have to face it? Because there is a stigma for people working in the field of sex and adults. It's a huge stigma uh, in our society and it's particularly big. For performers, but it also exists for all of us. Even if you're a sexologist or you're an erotic artist doing drawings or paintings, you're an educator, you're a filmmaker, you have a production company, you're a business owner, you have an erotic boutique, you sell toys. All of us are highly affected by the stigma that anything related to sex have. And we see it daily. We see it on social media. We see how we are limited, how we cannot express ourselves freely, how we can. I'm not talking here about showing explicit images. I understand perfectly that that it's not the place to show explicit images on any of the social media platforms. But I'm talking about the right to express ourselves, to educate, to elaborate, to uh, reflect on what sex is and what it means in our society. Because what I see is so much shame. I see so much fear. I see people who are so uneducated, who are so scared of their own sexuality and of other people's sexuality and that really are lacking uh, sex education. And I think that one of of the problems that have been arising the last years have been that in this world of censorship and where sex is limited to, to certain areas, it has become something that we are almost only allowed to reflect on in the space of pornography. 
And I think that that is one of the reasons why, especially younger audiences, younger people who are lacking sex education, their parents are not talking to them, their schools are not talking to them. They turn to the internet and they turn to mostly mainstream pornography because they really have a need of learning about sex. And as we have been talking, the mainstream online tube sites may not be the best place for you to learn about sex. Maybe this is a, a space if you're an adult that you can enjoy if you already have a developed critical thinking and you were aware of some of the harmful messages that are being kind of transmitted, sent out because porn is as any other media full of messages that are coming towards you. And if those messages have systemic violence towards women, sexually over kind of a sexualization of teens, proposed or very limited gender roles, this fetishization of race that we see a lot of that are very problematic messages. And if you are not aware and can kind of decode and understand these messages, it might be harmful for you, in, especially in a phase where you are vulnerable and you are creating and trying to understand your own sexuality. You mentioned something that really resonated with me. So my audience, they know I have a PhD in clinical psychology and I did my postdoc in treatments of eating disorders. Whenever I was doing interviews like in media and TV, different places about eating disorder, I'm always Dr. Nazanin Moali. When I, they know that I'm a sex therapist, somehow I'm Naz. And I'm not talking about colleague, right? I'm talking about people yeah. like that. They yeah. don't know me. And that's so fascinating. Somehow maybe unconsciously, they kind of think about it less than. So that's that's been my observation. But, the, but that is what people do. And I can relate to, to what you were saying. You know, if I present myself as a film producer, film director, people look at me one way. If I present myself as a company owner, people look at me one way. If I present myself as, you know, a porn director, they look at me with another set of eyes. And that is obviously because of their own prejudices they have you know this this idea that we all have about pornography and 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 the harmful kind of side of it um, and obviously i think that everyone who is active in this field have to be aware of that and try to make it as a safe place as possible this is not only for people who are producing content producing films but also for for everyone who's in the business because when i talk about ethical porn you know people concentrated a lot on the process of making it which is obviously one of the most important parts in, in, in this whole field. But it also goes for marketing, how you market and distribute the pornography, how you, you know, the taglines you decide to use, how you show an image of, of, of people and what that image, kind of what messages they are sending out. It also goes for consumers. And I think that this part is very interesting because most people don't think about themselves as part of the porn industry. But actually, if you are a consumer, you are part of this industry. You are voting with the time that you spend online and the videos you click on. 
So I always ask people to be aware of the impact that they as consumer are having on the industry because they have the power to send out messages where they show the world and they show the business owners and they show the content creators what kind of porn they admire, what kind of porn they want to watch. So if you are watching porn and you see a tagline that says, tiny teen is getting destroyed. I recommend that you don't click on that. I recommend that if you, you know, you could even leave a comment saying, this is something I don't agree with. This is a language that is aggressive and, and that should not be accepted because the whole idea with porn is to be exciting for adults, to be a medium for us to to connect with ourselves and our sexuality. I agree with you. And I think sometimes people don't think about that part. And I know one of the things, so some sometimes some women are sensitive about their partners watching porn. But one thing that I always tell my husband, honey, make sure you're paying, paying for porn. <laughs> that you're watching. Pay for your porn. I love that. <laughs> that is, that is, that is actually the only way you can ensure that what you are watching, what you are looking at, that you give it value, mm-hmm. that you value the work that the people have put in because porn is work mm-hmm. and it's made by people who have real lives and who need to make an income out of, of this job. People who have to pay their apartments and their school fees for their kids and the food on the table, etc. So I think that if we all could be better at value the porn that we enjoy and that we like, we would create a more positive circle of adult content. I agree with you. And I think it's just like I'm fascinated about ethical porn staying in business. So as you, as we were talking about, you can make porn with no money, right? That like you can recruit people, seduce people off the street or like take a picture of like image of your girlfriend, something like some unethical way. And you can put it out there and have the websites of like, like that. And what you're telling me that costs money, right? Like with the intimacy coordinator, director, all of that. So how do you make money? I mean, I think it's very, very important to be clear on what is sexual imagery abuse here because it's something that is happening, unfortunately. And it's also something that we need to educate younger audiences in because today, obviously, everybody has a phone with a video camera. They can become creators and distributors of porn from their own living room. And it's very important to understand that uh, porn is a legal industry with a set of rules where everybody who is participating needs to have given their clear admission. They need to have done their health test. They need to have signed the paperwork and they need to be compensated with the fee of that work. Any other thing is illegal and goes for abusive sexual imagery and is not something that people should engage in. And also for young people, I always say that they have to be very, very aware. And also all the people, obviously, who who also have this all new technology in our hands, 
that we need to know what privacy means. And we need to know that if someone is sharing a private sexual image with us, that is for our eyes only, that it's not to be shown to anyone else, that it's not to be distributed online, etc. I think that it's important to kind of to make a clear separation of what is, you know, the legal porn industry and how it works and what is other practices that might be going on in the private sphere. Many years ago, I had this client that she was telling me the story of like, like, I don't know, 15 years ago, while she was in college, she was drunk and then like she was dating someone and he started filming her and she was, I think, even 17. She was reading the reading the note saying that I, I'm 18, blah, blah, blah. And 20 years later, her life was impacted by it. She was like doing legal things, but you know how it is, like with free porn, like you're putting it somewhere, it show up somewhere else. But, it, but it's, again, important to say that that is not porn, that is abuse. Mm-hmm. And we need to be very clear with this because I, I, I feel that people in general mm-hmm. are mixing up sometimes, you know, they're always... They, they call it amateur porn. That This is also something that is very important to understand. Amateur porn is produced by professionals and professional companies. It's not something that happens happily in the bedroom and then kind of people decide, you know, the paperwork and everything is always done before. And most of what we call amateur porn is actually produced by production companies. I was thinking about what people call revenge porn. Oh, I see. That is, you know, what we Mm -hmm. were talking about. But I think that it's very important to stop calling it revenge porn Mm -hmm. because it's not porn. It's abuse, you know. And, And I think that if we call it revenge porn, then we send out very mixed messages about what porn actually is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. That's, it's important to distinguish. And even I talk about sex work, right? Sometimes people like we're from conservative community, when they think about sex work, they think about trafficking, right? That's completely yeah. a different thing. So Because here we go again. This is the mix up that people do. Mm-hmm. Trafficking is a very tragic and horrible thing that is happening to many people in the world. But it's something that is very different from what we call sex work. Sex work is something that an individual decides to do and that they get a payment for the time they are putting in, doing it. Eric, I can talk to you for hours. <laughs> See, we are passionate about similar things. My last question is about people think about porn being a slippery slope. They think about talk about sex addiction. So thinking about if I open up that door, like I, what if I can stop? So what's your thoughts on that? Actually, if we look at studies, et cetera, it's not proved that there exists something called kind of porn addiction, et cetera. But it's also true that many people, especially many men who are very lonely and who have a very hard time to find access to real life relationships and watching quite lots of porn online and have even got quite a lot into coming and finding kind of creating relationship with with certain cameras that they go to time after time after time so when it comes to 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 porn and porn news i mean it 
it it depends on every individual how you want to use it in your own life. I think it it it's like anything. If it's too much, it might taking up you know part of 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 your time and your life. Then you're getting into a dangerous kind of field. But this is. The same as video games, this is the same as, you know, food problems, etc. If it's taking up all your kind of time and that's the only source you have, you might consider thinking about that. Absolutely. You know, I see parallel with eating disorders, right? Like that's that's where my field was initially, right? With binge eating, people think about, call it sometimes food addiction and they think about, okay, if I eliminate those foods and I don't want it and they get into the power struggle with this which is not accurate right so it's not about the food it's about what's underneath it and I see that people that as you said that their life is consumed by watching porn it's more about what is happening what are we trying to escape what what is the context of individual's life and I think that this is really happening in some cases that people use it as some kind of anxiety killer. It's it's not really about their sexuality because I think that the, the, the good way of using porn is to have it as an inspiration for your sexuality, for your erotic life. It's it's being able to have this 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 source that you use now and then, right? But when it becomes this thing that you use to kill your anxiety like you were saying with food for example eating bag after bag after bag of potato chips and then you feel bad afterwards then you need to oversee the way you are using it in your life and the role but but this is so hard also with society in general lately you know social media internet television it takes up so much of our, you know, time. It seems like people are struggling more and more with being active, with living in the real world, with going out with your friends, with, you know, having a good time and making real good connections. And it's the, something that we as a society need to need to be aware of. At the same time, I do believe in the potential of porn. I believe in the potential of porn to broaden our erotic world, to show us how other people live their sexuality, to make us empathize with people outside our own kind of gender and roles, and to make us investigate a bit in who we are, what we desire, what we fantasize about, also in normalizing some of our fears around sex, because sometimes people tend to think that something is wrong with them, that they are perverts for wanting something in particular. And when you see other people also having the same kind of ideas or likes, that can really also help you to normalize your own behavior or desires. I think that there can be many, many, many 
positive things about watching porn. I received many emails from couples telling me about their experiences together, about how my films have helped them to to start conversations around sex. That is something that is complicated for many people to start talking about desires and and things that they might want to do and try out together. So it's like, I guess, I guess porn is not so different from other things. It all depends on how you use it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're right that it could be a source of inspiration. And at times I tell people like in order for you to be ready to access your psychological kind of like arousal, there needs to be some inspiration. For some people, it's easier that they have a good relationship to talk about their fantasy with a partner. But sometimes it's less threatening that you can like, even like beside getting the inspiration to see someone else's work or showing what you're interested in. So maybe you're saying like, I have a latex fetish, for example, and the partner thinks all sorts of things. But if you're sharing that, oh, this is this is something I'm interested in, and people are saying it, they can get some inspiration. Hopefully that people can use it mostly for inspiration, not necessarily education because of how diverse the industry is, right? That like we are so far away from eliminating mainstream porn. So hopefully people can get sex education and enjoy porn. And that they also can go outside the kind of what they know as mainstream porn and start looking for more alternative porn, independent porn creators and producers and directors who are out there and who are showing other sites outside the mostly heteronormative perspectives we see on 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 the tube sites online. There's huge LGBTQI plus community who wants also to see their sexuality portrayed in in film. I think that porn has a huge potential, but I think that it needs more creators, new creators. It needs to be more diverse and and broaden, really broaden the perspective. Mm-hmm. Like different genre, like the same way that you watch movie, right? Not everyone like drama. Some people want comedy, uh-huh. horror, you know, there's a uh, uh, galaxy of options out there. So again, I can talk to you for hours, but for our listeners that they are intrigued to learn more about your work, things that you do, what are some of the places they can access that? I would tell them to come by ericalust.com where you can find my films. You can also find a blog. I'm talking about sexuality and other things. But I would really ask you to come by, check out some trailers, see a bit what we do. I hope that we can inspire you. I hope that we can surprise you because what we are doing are very cinematic films with great characters and narrative and very, very hot sex. Well, that's what I'm going to do after this. Check out Erica Lawson to see the trailers. Now I'm intrigued. Thank you so much for your time. We'll make sure that we include the information in the show notes. And it was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much. Hey there, we've been diving deep into the empowering world of ethical and female-centered porn, and I'm itching to hear your thoughts. How do you feel about this genre of adult entertainment that respects everyone involved and puts female pleasure first? 
Any favorite you like to share? I would love to hear about your favorites. You can DM me at Instagram at Sexology Podcast. And guess what? For those intrigued, I've curated a list of my top favorite erotica and ethical porn website. If you're ready to explore this exciting realm of pleasure and respect, head over to our show notes for all the juicy details. Thanks for being part of our conversation. Remember your voice matters, your preferences matter. So let me know if you want to hear more about a topic or there are some topics that are not resonating with you. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.